Before we start the show, let me share with you an amazing new product I've been using. I actually never did the show on CBD because there were so many options out there and reports to read over, so it took some time. But when my team brought up the brand Ned, I've never heard of them. So naturally, I was a little bit pessimistic because I am about a lot of brands because I know that I have a high standard, the Dr. G standard, right? The standard that is high quality, pure, clean, but also effective, right? You want the product to work. So when I decided to look into them, I checked the website first and I immediately noticed beautiful branding, which is great aesthetically to the eye, great. But then I started reading and learning more about the company, the mission, the dedication, equality. Then I received in my inbox all the third-party testing for their products. Then I looked into it super clean, super impressed. Not only is it devoid of those preservatives that you see in a lot of these products, but it has the full spectrum of necessary cannabinoids to make it an effective product. Uh, and then I spoke to the founder, which was such an important connection for me. I have to be in full alignment. And we spoke firsthand about the ethos of the company, right? What they believe in. I was impressed by their dedication to a high quality product, but also in helping people, helping spread the word, making people healthy. The passion was there. So yeah, I tried it out. I, I got a box of Ned. So here is what we see from Ned CBD. It's a full spectrum CBD, which is extracted from organically grown hemp plants, sourced from Paonia, Colorado. I really like that they use slow, cold extraction under 40 degrees for their hemp flowers, which actually preserves them instead of destroying them with different types of extraction methods. They also have zero isolates, zero synthetic ingredients, right? I mentioned the third-party testing, which was really important, and we saw this in there. So full-spectrum hemp means it has all of the cannabinoids, not just CBD, and I mentioned this earlier. You'll get a wide range of benefits that help that biological system, right? And what you're gonna see is benefits in different parts of your life. For me, I use the sleep one immediately. I use it for four days in a row, and what I found was that I was waking up in the same exact position I fell asleep in. That was my experience. And I know that it can be really strong. I've tried different CBD products for sleep, but by far this was the best one, particularly because the first night I felt it. Also, you can utilize it as an anti-inflammatory, a natural pain reliever for anxiety, for PTSD, to be supportive in depression. It's also a rich source of antioxidant. You can also support it when it comes to chronic conditions like epilepsy, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's. There's data out there that's growing about the importance of CBD when it comes to these diseases. So I really utilize that as part of my morning routine, and then I use a sleep one in my evening routine. Uh, it's become part of my regimen, and I'm really enjoying it at this moment. So if you're a Heal Thyself listener, you'll receive 15% off your first purchase or 20% off your first membership purchase. Memberships offer great perks, including 15% off of every purchase. So go to helloned.com slash Dr. G and enter the code DRG at checkout. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash D-R-G and you'll get 15% off of your first time order and 20% off of your first subscription order plus free shipping. Thank you for joining the show. Another episode of Heal Thyself. What a good one we have today. Going into the knowledge bomb, I'm gonna be talking a little bit about breath work. This is something that I've been doing as part of my daily routine or a weekly routine, not every single day, but it's been really, really helpful for me as far as just handling my stress, the way that I show up in the world, uh, when it comes to just being at peace and aligned. Breathwork is a super awesome tool that I wanna share with you, but also share some of the science. Does it work? What, is, what does the science say? And then we have a very special guest, Sean Stevenson. You may have watched him last summer on my show, and he spoke really deeply about nutrition, but how it connects to our overall health and wellness and mindset. So Sean will be talking about some of the stuff from his book, which we can implement into our lives every single day 
for our overall health. He's a nutrition wizard. So I'm really excited to get to talk to him about what he has found. Really excited. All right. So without further ado, let's get to this knowledge bomb. All right, breath work is something that I've been doing for quite a while. It's a super important show because I recommend it to so many patients, and I really talk about it a lot. If you uh, are a regular and watching these Heal Thyself Tuesdays I do on the Instagram Live, you'll see I had a breath work, my breath work coach come on the show and really lead everyone through a breath work. And it's been, I had some incredible responses, uh, incredible comments after. Super powerful tool that we can use. It's really important when it comes to stress response. You know, we have things like yoga, meditation, Tai Chi, but we can always add in other things to see what works best for us and to give us variety, right? I meditate every single day, but sometimes I want to do some moving meditation. So I'll do something like Tai Chi, yoga, or something more active like breath work. And it's really important because it's sort of hard not to feel something when you do breath work. It's a powerful technique where you feel it in your body, you feel it in your mind, you feel it in your soul. Super, super awesome stuff. If you haven't done it, I'm going to really recommend to do it, but I'm going to talk about some different techniques and the way you can do it. So breath work simply is just following a breathing pattern for a certain amount of time. It's conscious breathing, paying close attention to your breath, which is always sort of the root of everything, right? You're doing Tai Chi, you're moving, but paying attention to your breath. You're meditating, you're paying attention to breath. Yoga, what do they say? Cycle your breath, pay attention to your breath. It's always conscious breathing that is at the root of this because of what it's doing, it brings you to the present moment. When you're in the present moment, that's when you get the real physiological, mental, and emotional benefits. So uh, when you focus on your breath, basically, what you're doing is creating a powerful technique. Some of these techniques are faster, some slower, some have music, some have some drums playing, some maybe solo or some maybe in a group. So it all depends on what, what works best for you. So I want you to all start exploring what works really in alignment with what feels right, how, how you're getting the optimal benefit, just feeling the energy around. Do you like being with people? Do you like the music on? Uh, because you'll find something that really works and is super efficient for you and you can tap into the power of it really fast. So I found me personally, I like solo. I like some music or some drumming and there's different patterns and techniques. I'm going to share later the ones that I do, but this is ancient. It's been around for thousands, thousands of years right? Yogis, there's shamanic ceremonies, sports, right? Before you get on doing breathing techniques, even childbirth, there's a power in breathing and how it translates to our physiology, what it does to our brain. So you want to know something cool. The word spirit is the Latin word for breath, spiritus, breath, which is amazing. So uh, no wonder it's become so popular because what we're doing is we're helping our physical health. Yes, but it's also creating spiritual alignment, which is amazing stuff. So my experience with breathwork is an interesting one. Um, I don't know how I got in touch with my breathwork teacher, Gwen, at some point through Instagram, but we did. And she invited me to this breathing circle, this breathwork circle. And I canceled so many times because I felt this resistance because I didn't want to be around people. And this was pre-COVID. I just didn't want to be around people uh, and do something that I intuitively knew might have been kind of powerful. Um, I like doing those things alone, always. So I resisted, I resisted. And even the time that I went, when it was time to go for the breath work, I remember everyone was in the back, but I went to the front door and I rang, I rang and no one was there. So I was like, I'm leaving. And as I'm leaving, I see Gwen running out from the back and going, Christian, Christian, come to the back, come to the back. It was difficult to be vulnerable around people, but it was beautiful. So although I like doing breath work solo, 
there was a lot of power in being around people because what it did is it created an open container, open vessel where people were able to be vulnerable and go through the breath work together and have similar responses, which was incredible. So for me, the first time I ever did breath work, I'm over here, I'm laying in a circle and I'm, I'm breathing uh, and following her special cadence breath work. And uh, what I find is after maybe 10 minutes, my hands start getting tingly. My mouth starts getting tingly. My face guard starts getting tingly. 15 minutes, 20 minutes, my stomach is tingly. And then I, I didn't feel emotion to cry, but I felt tears coming down my eyes and I didn't understand. Why was my body releasing these tears, but I wasn't feeling necessarily sad? And she was explaining, yeah, that's what happens. You drop into the body and you allow the body's physiology, the nervous system to start releasing those pent up emotions. If you ever read the book, The Body Keeps Score, you'll know that the body absolutely does keep score. The mind overrides it and tries to make sense of traumas or any emotional uh, emotional imbalances, but the body always will hold it or know it and file, and file it like a filing cabinet. So it was pretty incredible. The second time I did it, we did solo. And after 20 minutes, I, I got this great, this was, I, and this is never, I never really experienced anything like this, but I got this crazy vision. It came out of nowhere. And after I sat with Gwen and I was talking to her and she was telling me that she got a vision. She asked first, asked my permission to share it. And she got a vision and it was the same vision. We saw the same thing. It was the craziest thing. I, I was like, this is wild for me. But what I'm trying to say is breath work allows a space where you can tap into deeper parts of you. And you know how much I talk about the mental, emotional, psychological part of our health. I do believe it's a giant, giant root cause for so many physical symptoms. And you always address the physical symptoms, but really understand there's a bigger root. And I think the breath work is another technique to really get deeper into our body and release those emotions. So uh, it's amazing stuff. Gwen, the, when, when I work with her, and I brought her onto the show, um, she was on my podcast and we did uh, Instagram live together, a few so many comments people were like i can't believe that i'm crying i haven't cried in years or i felt my body releasing so much um, she does a, a yell in the middle but it, it's incredible stuff she does a pranayamic three-part breathing now this, that's my teacher so many other types now for me day to day i don't see her all the time day to day i do my own breath work too I do a little bit of the Wim Hof breathing. You might've heard of Wim Hof breathing. I, th I believe he's a Dutchman and he's created this breathwork technique where he can hike in his underwear up a mountain when, it's, when there's a blizzard and he can jump into freezing cold temperatures. They've put electrodes on him, saw how he changed his brain. They, they injected him with bacterial endotoxins and they saw that he was able to balance that. He was able to negate the effects that we would see on a regular person with his breathing technique. So there's something really powerful what Wim Hof is doing. But I do the Wim Hof breathing, uh, especially right before I get into a cold shower. Don't do it every day because I do hate cold showers, but I do do the Wim Hof breathing. And that's a little bit more intensive a cadence, but it can be a really powerful one. So uh, yeah, anytime I do a cold plunge or I'm going into the uh, cold shower, I do the Wim Hof breathing. And what you're doing is creating, you're dampening inflammation in the body, right? You're, they've seen it in studies with people doing Wim Hof breathing. They reduce the inflammatory cytokines, right? They, they influence the immune system. They balance the immune system. It's incredible stuff. Um, and it could be really helpful for potentially inflammatory diseases that people are suffering with or autoimmune disease. So I, I would actually even talk to your doctor if you have an autoimmune disease, if Wim Hof breathing can help you. And if they don't know what it is, they can always research it. There's other popular ones, holotropic breathing. This is a really powerful one that can elicit a really deep altered state of consciousness. Powerful. Um, box breathing. This is an easy one that I actually can do during the day. I teach some of my pediatric patients to even do this. It's just 
creating a box of breathing, four seconds for one side of the box of inhalation, holding your breath for four seconds, four seconds exhalation, the other side of the box, and then holding your breath for four seconds. And you do that for a round of four, but what that does is help balance your nervous system pretty quick. And it's a fast, easy, efficient tool you can do before you get on stage, before you do a presentation. If someone at work is really getting on your nerves or anything, even at home, um, there's the Buteco breathing. This is sort of like the Wim Hof one. It's really powerful, like holotropic, but you can research that if you're interested too. There's so many different types. The, the, it's a matter of which one works best for me, which one does my body like the best, right? Pay attention to your body. Just because I do the Wim Hof and the pranayamic breathing doesn't mean that that's, that's for you, right? Pay attention to your body. See what's easy. See what feels good. Music, groups, whatever it may be. So all right, here I am talking about what my experience is and, and, and uh, what, what we see online and what we hear. But really the question is, what does the science say? But there is science on breath work. And what do we find? Well, breath work can affect the central nervous system, right? That's your brain. That's your spinal cord. And the, the brain and spinal, spinal cord have these branches of nerves that go to every single organ in the body. That's why chiropractic medicine works, right? Um, but there's an autonomic branch, and you hear me talk about sympathetic and parasympathetic, right? Rest and digest, sympathetic being fight or flight, running away from that line. We always want to be in a parasympathetic state for most of the time until we need a sympathetic short acute burst. So parasympathetic state is really that calm state where, you know, nothing's bothering you. You're at peace. You're, you're digesting your food, right? So when it comes to breath work, it, it pushes the parasympathetic tone. It increases that parasympathetic state. Now, you may have heard me do a show on the vagus nerve, and the vagus nerve, we think, is the reason why breathwork works. It's stimulated. It stimulates the diaphragm. The diaphragm stimulates the vagus nerve. It goes back to the brain, back and forth, and what you're doing is you're eliciting this calm, peaceful state. The alpha brain, it's peaceful but alert. You're not falling asleep because what's happening is in the brain, it's increasing alpha brain waves. That's a more restful but alert state. You're increasing heart rate variability. HRV, I have this aura ring on and I have no affiliation with them, but I'm wearing it right now. Every morning I check my HRV. Heart rate variability is going to tell me, all right, let's say my heart rate variability starts at a 90 and everyone's different. I know if I don't get any sleep and if I'm super stressed the day before, the next day it might be a 70. So it's a good baseline to see heart rate variability, meaning how you're handling stress in the body. What else does the science show on breath work? Subjects who do breath work, Increase of comfort feelings, relaxation, pleasantness, vigor, re more relaxation overall, but reduced feelings of anger, anxiety, uh, confusion, depression. Um, and as I mentioned, it is the vagus nerve that we're really thinking about. Um, and you'll, I did a whole show on the vagus nerve. It was episode 79. And we know that not only that, not only when it comes to the stress and parasympathetic, the vagus nerve will also elicit anti-inflammatory signals to the rest of the body. When you increase your vagal tone, meaning the, you have a strong vagus nerve that is that is ready to fire and uh, give us all the benefits, breath work is something that can put us in that stronger vagal tone mode. So uh, it's really important because when you think about it, this nerve innervates most of our organs, a lot of our digestive organs. So if you have digestive issues, in theory, breath work is going to be really helpful for that. Uh, essentially what it's doing is it's reading the gut microbiome and it's initiating a response if there is inflammation to modulate, balance inflammation, increase digestion, and of course, increase our mood. The vagal, the vagus nerve is the connection between the gut and the brain. So again, if you have anxiety, depression, inflammatory issues in the body, um, autoimmune disease, 
your microbiome is disrupted. That's what your doctor says, right? Or you just have digestive issues overall. Then breathwork may be a key tactic, cheap, free, or with the most part, you can do it at home and easy and efficient that you can just do every single day that can be really, really helpful. The stronger the vagal tone, the stronger the parasympathetic nervous system, the rest and digest, and that's, that's working at its best. The stronger the vagal tone, the overall better physical health. So um, there was, I want to say a quote that uh, we had a doctor out of the Cleveland Clinic, Dr. Golubik, say the vagal response reduces stress. It reduces our heart rate, our blood pressure. It changes the function in certain parts of our brain, stimulates digestion, and all those things happen when we are relaxed. So remember, let's strengthen that vagal tone with breath work. Let's strengthen it with meditation. Let's strengthen it with, and you'll listen to all of the ways you can strengthen it on episode 79, but let's do all these things to to better uh, put us in a state of overall health. So what else do we see in studies? Breath work for folks before they did it and after they did it, reduce salivary cortisol, right? You take these salivary samples, you could see your cortisol. That's your stress hormone coming from your adrenals. Cortisol prolonged at a high level over and over and over is a route for inflammation, is a route for disease, right? So you want to know that you have a tactic like meditation or breath work that is going to reduce that cortisol. And yes, we see it in studies. It's also shown to sustained attention, sustain increased attention. So again, that's what I was mentioning, alpha brain waves, having increased focus, but also being calm at the same time, not, not drowsy and calm or sleepy and calm, but really just focused and calm. So really breath work is one of my favorite things to do. Um, it is a major mind body tool. I would say a top three and uh, ask your doctor. Ask your doctor if it's safe for you because breath work can be sometimes intense for some people, um, can get you dizzy, can have sensations in the body that you're not used to. So I would recommend having an uh, instructor or supervised at first so you can get a feel for it, but really ask your doctor if it's safe for you. Um, but overall, breath work has been amazing for me. It's been incredible. It's been something that I use all the time. And um, I really want to just submit to you that you guys can do it too. It's free. You can look online, but make sure, like I always say, first one supervised and then see if you're comfortable doing it by yourself. So that's breath work. An amazing, amazing thing can help our body reduce inflammation, help our gut, brain health, everything. Love it. So let's get that special guest on. Sean Stevenson is, has one of the top shows for health, wellness, and fitness in the world. Uh, he's been on this, so well-spoken, so engaging, so passionate about his work. You can see that. So uh, we're going to learn about, a lot about nutrition, things that we may not know because he's always dropping these gems and always dropping these bombs. So let's get to this guest interview. All right, everyone, very special, very, very special guest. He was here last year. And last year when we were talking, he was working on this book. Now this book came out and it's on fire and you can't get it. It's sold out. So we want to get our hands on it very soon. Eat Smarter. He's also the author of Sleep Smarter, Mr. Sean Stevenson. This is the man with a plan, man. You come with fire every time we talk. Um, shit, man. Like it, it, Everything about you is so genuine, humble, like a beautiful vibe. Like... Uh, when I, I I listen to your show and I I listen to three podcasts and that's it and you're one of them. So Thanks I want to tell lot. you I love what you're doing. I've always did. Even before I had my podcast, I was listening to you. So now this book is out. Yeah. And we can't even get our hands on it because it's on fire. <laughs> when this comes out, hopefully it'll be back in stock. Yeah. But I I mean to say that it was the demand wasn't expected. No, I expected that. But the sh the, the the publishing industry is so strange right now. Mm -hmm because of folks working remote and all these things. And so 
Um, we sold out of books on Amazon, which is the biggest book retailer, yeah. you know, within the first, you know, four days of the book being out. Um, their books are available right now, I know for for certain, at Target, which yeah. first of all, it's in Target. Yeah. Every Target store in America. I used to work at Target when oh, you I was did? a kid. I, yeah. Yeah. My senior year of high school, I was pushing carts, checking people out at the cash uh-huh. register, you know, uh-huh. I was a floater. And now my book is there. It's really powerful. And for a book, a big idea nutrition book to be, you know, they got like the center display, you yeah. know, out in the aisles. Um, it's just, it's very remarkable. Mm-hmm. It's remarkable. But as we talked about, you know, I, I put over 500 peer reviewed studies into it, but the way that we go about things is making it make sense for people. Yeah. Because one of the statistics I came across that really blew my mind is that when we have a double-blind, placebo-controlled study proving the efficacy of, we'll say, like astaxanthin, mm-hmm. right? It takes, on average, about 17 years for it to show up in clinical practice. Yeah. You know, and it's just unacceptable at the age of the internet. Yeah. You know, so, but a big part of the problem is the complexity from academia in these studies, speaking to other academics and just teetering back and forth, you know, mm-hmm. instead of like, let's get this data to the people who need it. Yeah. You know, so that's, that was my big mission behind it, it was to make it fun and approachable, but layer, as we talked about a little bit, the meaning of, of food has to change. When people think about diet and nutrition, most people in our society, they usually relate it to weight. And that's okay. It is a part of that. Absolutely. So I want to give people what they want. And so the first part of the book is dedicated to how food controls our metabolism. But this is the first time in book form I'm taking people behind the scenes and teaching them how their metabolism actually works. Mm-hmm. How do, where does fat go? <laughs> like, how does the process actually work? Yeah. And, but in, again, in a way, I use analogies, like basically it's a cellular movie theater is mm-hmm. what I take people through. And here, the biggest part is the specific nutrients that control or even create the hormones and, and enzymes and neurotransmitters that make fat loss happen. Mm-hmm. What are those foods? What are those nutrients? just stack it. And then the second part of the book, again, broadening the meaning of food, we look at how food affects our cognitive performance. Yeah. A lot of our friends, you, they've got books that are mostly, you know, when we're talking about brain health, it's mostly about prevention, right? Prevention of dementia, prevention of Alzheimer's. These things are important. But what foods and nutrients are clinically proven study after study to actually make our brain work better, mm-hmm. improve our memory, improve our ability to focus under stress, uh, improve our reaction time. Yeah. The data exists, and that's in there as well. But the heart of the book is really focused on how food affects our relationships. And the science there, like I was alone in my office for so many hours, but this was one of those moments I got up and walked around in circles, just pacing, like I cannot believe people <laughs> don't know this. Yeah. And how food affects our ability to have patience, perspective take, and even our proclivity towards violence. Mm. It blew my mind. And this was before any of this stuff happened, but I knew it was an important conversation because effectively we have to get our citizens healthier to create a container or an atmosphere for healthier conversations Mm -hmm. to take place. So, Mm -hmm. and that's just a slice of it, man. And to put it all together in a graceful way, that's fun, that's adventurous. You know, that was my mission. And man, I'm really blown away at the response, but I can't say I'm surprised. Last thing I'll say is, What's the number one new release in America? I know. A health book. Unbelievable. Can you believe that? <laughs> oh, like it was uh, Barack Obama is on the same list. 
uh, Matthew McConaughey and this book about health. Unbelievable. You know, it was like I think it was like a Dungeons and Dragons book on there too. But you know, I, it just shows me that this matters. People are interested, even if they don't realize it. Health is so important. It's like the the cornerstone of being human. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I'm just pumped about it. I am too, man. And and the beautiful thing is, look at this perfect timing because after this whole year. We start understanding just how important our health is, right? Exactly. So many of us getting sick and uh, what we can do to keep ourselves as healthy as possible, yeah. uh, keep our immune system as healthy as possible. And realistically, man, what you're putting in your mouth every single day is where it starts. Yeah. Uh, so I, I love that, that you use the analogy aspect because here's the thing. I find that people want to understand, but then we have these enzymes, mechanisms, all of these, all of these very sophisticated things that happen in the body, but you put it into very simple forms. Yeah. Analogies are the best. That's what I, that's the way I work too. Yeah. So calorically, let's say I'm, let's say I'm living in the early nineties. Yeah. I go, well, I just need to eat less calories. I'm going to burn fat and then I'm good. This is what my fitness trainer told me. This is what my nutritionist from the nineties told me who's living in the nineties. So you're saying you're giving us better idea about hormonally what's going on in the body, right? Yeah. So, okay. speaking of the '90s, and I, by the way, I know we got a young swag. If people see us, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it's like you know. But I went to school in college in '97. Yeah. was when I first went to college, and exactly that. I I went to a private university that had a great pre med track. I never met a person in my life, except maybe I don't know somebody at the DMV or something, but nobody that I knew personally that graduated from college in my entire life. You know, I come from a very volatile environment. And so I decided I'm going to be a doctor because of television. You know, Bill Cosby, the Cosby show. Yeah. And I was like, oh, they look happy, you know, so. But I absolutely detested science just to be 1,000. Like, mm -hmm. I couldn't stand it. I would have nightmares about this biology class. I, still, I could picture her face right now, my teacher. She's probably a great woman, but it just, it didn't, it wasn't palpable. It didn't, yeah. it didn't connect with me. And you know, I, I did well in school despite all my circumstances, but um, because of the way that it was, it just wasn't, it didn't connect, it didn't have connective tissue. And so I switched over my major later, but still that first semester, I took you know, the usual, usual classes, but an elective was nutritional science. Mm. Didn't have to take it, but I took it. And, but I thought the nutritional science was gonna teach me about fitness. Yeah. Like, how do you make, you know, my, my, my pectorals, yeah. you know, get some, my, my, my chesticles, uh -huh. you know, more, whatever, <laughs> more formed. So, but this was the food pyramid, right? And my, my nutritional science teacher, the very first day, the very first day, we talked about the importance of the calories and how if you can manage your calories, you can manage your body composition. If you can manage your calories, you can manage your weight. Very simple principle, expend more calories than you take in. And that was the, it was essentially we were taught that calories were the Tony Danza, the boss. Mm -hmm. they were like, mm -hmm. who's the boss? They were the Tony Danza of this whole thing. Yeah. Cut to my nutritional science teacher, brilliant guy. He was bordering on obesity himself. He was doing what he was teaching. That's the thing is I'm pretty sure he wasn't going like behind closed doors and like huffing down honey buns. Right. At the bottom of that pyramid, you need to eat 7-Eleven servings of whole grains, manage your calories. Mm -hmm. Something was wrong, but he blames himself. Each person blames himself. I'm just not, I, meet, I need more brown stuff. I need more brown, more mm -hmm. grains, mm -hmm. more whole grains. Mm -hmm. Instead of looking at the system, maybe that's flawed. And today we know that it is. And so 
I, I mentioned this to you, the term that I'm working to impress upon culture, like with Sleep Smarter, change culture. Mm -hmm. This term is called epicaloric control, all right? So epi, like epidermis, like above the dermis. Epi, meaning above caloric control. I've identified seven factors clinically proven to control what calories do in your body. Mm -hmm. So we I, here's a great uh, acronym for it. I, I call it in the DM. Okay. And I use this very, it goes down in the it's DM. perfect. <laughs> I use this very intentionally because hormones function a lot like metabolic DMs, you know, it's kind of like sending cellular texts and emails to communicate information throughout all the cells in your body, you know, your endocrine organs, et cetera. Now, when there's a surplus of a certain message coming in, it can start to go to spam. Yeah. And you get resistance, right? Yeah. You get insulin resistance yeah. or leptin resistance, but maybe we could circle back to that. But the acronym is in the DM, all right? And so the I stands for inflammation. Yeah. And this term, Unfortunately, it, it seems kind of like air, airy-fairy, like invisible, like, oh, inflammation. But this is one of the biggest issues that we're dealing with right now. It's, and inflammation isn't bad, by the way. Mm -hmm. It's a natural response of the body helping to, you know, this is a big part of our immune system reaction, healing from injuries. But when it's out of balance, this is a big problem. But I'm going to kind of skip over this one because I want to get to the next one, which is tied to it. The N is neuroinflammation, mm. right? So systemic inflammation issues, you know, with the liver, the gut, all that stuff. I got some incredible studies about that in Eat Smarter, but I want to make sure I talk about this one, neuroinflammation. This is one of the biggest issues in our world right now, and nobody's talking about it. And here's why this matters. Your brain, specifically, I'll just pick out a, a part, the hypothalamus, mm. hypothalamic inflammation. This is part of that gut-brain axis, and it's in contact, and the vagus nerve is a big part of this, it's in contact, your brain, your hypothalamus is in contact, constantly getting data back and forth between the gut and the brain about the amount of energy you have and the amount of nutrition you have in your system. Mm -hmm. And when food is coming in, how much of it should be absorbed, how much should be ignored. Your brain is literally deciding whether or not you're gonna absorb calories from your food. It's wow. not just happening. Mm -hmm. Your brain is deciding. And when you have this hypothalamic inflammation, it creates chaos in the understanding of your body to absorb nutrients. And so this issue here, let me, I, I wanna get a solution to really quickly. Mm -hmm. um, well, actually, we, I just mentioned this a little bit earlier. I just posted something. Instead of talking about here, eat, eat this thing or add this thing in, we need to remove the cause. Yeah. What's causing the neuroinflammation? Two things, well, there's a few, but two big things. Number one, sugar is crazy because the human brain, it's about 2% of our weight, our mass overall, but it consumes about 25% of our calories. And it is ravenous. It is ravenous in, uh, organ, but it's really, really good at consuming sugar. Mm. Your brain will gladly confiscate half of the sugar calories you consume. So. It's easy. I mean, the way that I grew up, I can easily consume 200 grams of sugar. Mm -hmm. Your brain will sop up like 100 of that, just like a biscuit, just sop it right up. Because you have these very highly evolved sugar gates, because you know we have the blood-brain barrier mm -hmm. that only allows in certain nutrients. Glucose gets an express pass. It's like yeah. got an express tollway <laughs> pass. 
And so now what happens with all of that sugar flooding into the brain, it is used to you know, do different processes and it's trillions of things happening. The problem is just like our, you know, what we think is our body cells, your brain cells also has insulin activity and your brain cells can become insulin resistant when it's constantly flooded with all of this sugar. This is a big hallmark of Alzheimer's, mm -hmm. which is largely being termed type three diabetes, this insulin resistance happening in the brain, but it's also creating uh, subsequent inflammation in the brain because sugar is just dangerous to be floating around in your mm -hmm. system. So that's one of the big reasons. The average American, between 70 and 130 pounds of sugar, added sugar every year, is unbelievable, all right? So that's one. So making a shift, but getting folks educated, shifting away from all of that added sugar. The second thing is, and this is what I just posted about specifically, pesticides, herbicides, rodenticides, fungicides, associated, one of the studies I shared that I just posted found conclusively damage to the gut microbiota and also uh, associated inflammation in the brain as well. And this just makes sense. One of the most popular um, pesticides used is neurogenic. It's neurotoxic. Mm -hmm. It's designed to destroy the nervous system of pests, mm -hmm. of rodents. Yeah. You are mostly, your cells don't stand a chance. No. And you have a mass of neural tissue in your gut, for example. You have about 30 neurotransmitters, um, uh, a tremendous amount of neur like neural tissue in yeah. your belly. And having these things, it's just like, it's unfortunate that we have to prove that spraying our food with dangerous chemicals makes us sick. It's right. so stupid. Right. But this is a big issue leading to inflammation of our brain. So. Those are a couple of things, you know, we could talk about the rest, but I want to pass it back to you. So it goes down in the DM, inflammation, systemic inflammation, neuroinflammation. Both of these are determining what your body does with the calories you consume. And then like the next ones will get much more granular and like bullet point these. Yeah. So it's amazing that we can have a, a high sugar, high simple carb diet with, with components that are sprayed with pesticides, herbicide, and then this is a large part of the standard American diet. And then we see disease, like you mentioned, Alzheimer's, dementia, Parkinson's. Incredible that that literally just, it's a small amount every single day that keeps building up and building yeah. up and building up. One thing I remember early when I was in school, we had a patient come in and she couldn't lose weight. She was eating, she was eating really clean for, for five years. Fitness trainer, nutritionist, nothing. But she was inflamed. There was, yeah. there was, she had thyroid issue, but she was inflamed. Yeah. And we did, we did the markers through the roof, inflammation everywhere, generalized inflammation, CRP, lactase dehydrogenase, and she's just inflamed. So I go, let's stop. Let, let's just, let's just stop and take you off of allergenic foods, right? Foods that are really stimulating the immune system, the immune, immune system to start going crazy and put down that inflammation. She started losing, she lost about five pounds a week for five weeks to hit her goal. Mm. It's incredible. It was the inflammation that was causing the cell not to work properly. And this is what you're talking about, the resistance. She had insulin resistance because the cell wasn't working properly. And I think that that's where we, a lot of us go wrong, where we go, well, you know, I just got to lower my calories and I'm going to be fine. Mm -hmm. But really the key is, as you're saying, the connection between the brain, the gut, what you're absorbing, and then the brain inflammation, the gut inflammation. It's pretty yeah. incredible stuff. I love that. That's that real world firsthand experience. 
and now, and the anecdotal data is so important, it's so glanced over. Mm -hmm. And these are conversations we, we should be having, you know, amongst healthcare workers. Um, but here, I'm gonna really like drive this point home right here. So in the DM, so we got I-N, the T. This one is like, this is really gonna click for everybody. So this was published in Food and Nutrition Research. And I kind of mapped it out in the book, like made it make mm -hmm. sense again. So the researchers, so the T is for the type of food itself. The type of food itself determines your rate of calorie absorption and expenditure. And they wanted to find out what would happen if folks eat a meal of processed foods versus a meal of whole foods, all right? And so what they deemed to be whole foods was a whole food sandwich. It was multi-grain bread and cheddar cheese, all right? So they had some folks to consume that. And then they had another set of test subjects to consume a processed food sandwich, which was white bread and cheese product. Mm -hmm. And I always like to point out what cheese product means. That's craft. It's okay. cheese product. Yeah. It's not enough cheese in the cheese. They call it craft singles because they can't call it craft cheese. So they had folks to consume these sandwiches, but they're the same amount of calories. This needs to be clear. They're the same amount of calories, same amount of proteins, fats, and carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. On paper, they're the same sandwich. But here's what's ha what happened to their bodies when they ate the sandwiches. Because they tracked the rate of calorie burn, you know, the, the, the metabolic rate. They compiled the data and they found that the folks who ate the processed food sandwich had a 50% reduction in calorie burn after eating that sandwich versus the folks who ate the, quote, wow. whole food sandwich. The further that food, the further those ingredients got away from nature, from where they come from, they, create, they effectively created hormonal clogs and it made their system more stingy in hanging on to the calories it consumed. Mm. It created this kind of metabolic chaos and, and do that over and over and over. Like I grew up, almost every meal we ate was processed foods yeah. and I'm not exaggerating yeah. because some folks might think, well, you know, that's just not, that's not realistic. Most people in our society are eating at least one to two meals of processed foods a day, mm. at least. I'm talking like whole meals. Mm. And so, this is one of those things where we've been saying for years, it's not just calories, it's the, it's the quality of the calories. Yeah. Now we know for certain. So that's the I-N-T. The H is how the food is prepared. Also determines your rate of calorie absorption and expenditure. These are epicaloric controllers. And so how the food is prepared, a good example is um, when you cook it, when you cook the food, it changes the ability of your body to absorb it. And not, this is a good or bad thing. It's just these are not accounted for in product labels. So a good example is kale, right? Kale is it's on T-shirts, you mm -hmm. know, it just like took off. But raw kale, it's much more difficult for your body to extract nutrients from raw kale. And this is not a knock against eating raw kale or putting it in your juice or smoothie, that kind of thing. It's, this is just, it is what it is because it had the cell wall it has to be unlocked for you to extract the nutrients from it. Not that you can't get other nutrients, but like the caloric density is within the cell wall. So cooking it breaks down the cell wall. If it's younger kale, like baby kale, baby spinach, the cell wall is weaker so you can absorb more energy. These are like minutia, but it matters because we tend to eat in volume, right? Especially when we cook spinach or kale, it's like an entire box of spinach <laughs> turns into like a <laughs> teaspoon. <laughs> Of, of spinach. Yeah, that's true. So this is a factor that's not often looked at, but the ability to cook food is what a lot of, um, what a lot, a lot of scientists attribute to the evolution of the human brain, being able to extract more nutrients from foods. But I, 
based on the data, I think it's important for us to include a mixture of cooked and uncooked foods, mm-hmm. you know, but, and again, it's going to, that is going to vary from person to person. Yeah. So I N T, how the food is prepared. The E, are we at the E? Yeah, no, the H. The H, did I yeah. skip the H? No, H, T, No, H. how the food is prepared, how the food's e, yeah. Pre- yes, all right. Element O P. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the E is the uh, uh, the thermic effect of food, the okay. the ability to, uh, basically it's like an energy exchange, energy right? Exchange. So that's yeah. what the E stands for. So energy exchange, it costs calories. I wanted to say this, I was trying to stop myself from saying this. It costs calories to absorb calories. Mm. And it does, this is not accounted for in product labels. In general, protein is much more expensive for your body to digest because it has to take those complex protein structures and break them down into amino acids. Protein is one of the most important thing. I don't like it even being classed into this micronutrient like mm-hmm. dogma. Pro, you need proteins to build your hormones. You yeah. need proteins to build your neurotransmitters. So these are the things that control your metabolism. The list goes on and on and on. You know, obviously we call it building blocks, but when you consume, we'll say a hundred calories of protein, it's going to cost your body. Your body's going to use 30 of those calories just to digest it. So you're getting a net profit of 70 by eating the protein, right? And this get, there's a variety of protein types, obviously. So with carbohydrates, it's about 10 to 15% of the calories are used to digest that. For fats, it's about zero to 5%. Mm. Now, we're very good at digesting fats. And you would think is that's a bad thing, but if you zoom out a little bit, that's an evolutionary adaptation because fat is so important mm. as well. You know, we're very good at digesting it. So energy exchange, one of the studies I talked about in the book, um, finding flaws or, or, or discrepancy in the at-water effect or the at-water uh, calorie, because that's what they do for calorie labels. They're not using a bomb, com- bomb calorimeter like they used to. Mm-hmm. They're just doing math, right? So four grams of, you know, protein, you've got a certain amount of calories in there. Same thing, you know, one one calorie, four grams, that kind of thing. They just doing they're just doing some calculation. Yeah. And so the at that's the, called the at water system. And what they found was that folks consuming um, 170 calories of almonds were only re- actually absorbing about 120 of those calories because of this energy expenditure to digest the food, right? So again, the type of food you eat matters. Doing the Jenny Craig point system, it works for some people. For most people, it doesn't. Mm. Or it might work for a while, then it stops working because the quality of food is not accounted for. Right. And also that energy exchange. So that's the E. And then we move to the DM. All right, so now it goes down the DM. The D is digestive efficiency. This one is super important. One of the biggest takeaways from this project is that each of us has a unique metabolic fingerprint. No one is like us in the history of humanity. No one will ever be like us as far as our unique metabolism. But the big takeaway is that ourselves today versus next week is going to be different. Our metabolism is constantly in flux and fluid and changing and evolving and, and adapting. And so this is why oftentimes the things we were doing 20 years ago, it won't work for us right now. But we tend to be like, well, it worked then. I just need to do it harder. I just need to paleo harder. I just need to, you know, whatever it is. And what what I'm teaching folks is having the tools to adapt our nutrition based on where we are right Mm -hmm. now. So digestive efficiency, 
our stomach uh, acid secretion, mm. our enzyme production, you know, our amylase that we're secreting in our saliva, our bile production, even the length of our gastrointestinal tract. If some people might just have a, they might be the same height as the, their best friend, but they just got a longer track, mm -hmm. you know, if they want to, you know, measures tracks together, yeah, you know, yeah. like just <laughs> getting into a pissing contest, but, you know, measuring the track, you could have a foot longer digestive mm -hmm. track. And just by its very nature, you're going to have a higher propensity towards absorbing more calories. Mm -hmm. Beating yourself just psychologically down because your friend is getting results and you're not. Yeah. Right, so all of these factors come into play for the digestive efficiency and many others. Now this one is the icing on the cake and where so much of the conversation is today. The M is for your microbiome makeup. Mm. And this is a part of that individuality. So really interesting study, and this was published in the journal Cell. They discovered a certain strain of bacteria in mice that blocked their intestines from absorbing as many calories from their food. All right. And as you know, through the lens of allopathic medicine, we might want to just let's bottle up whatever bacteria that is and sell it mm -hmm. to block people's intestines from absorbing as many calories. Sounds great. Yep. Problem is, as often ignored, what are the side effects of that? If we're blocking their intestines from absorbing as many calories with this bacteria strain, how's that affecting the other microbes? This might affect their microbes' ability to produce scaphas, these short-chain fatty acids, to protect their gastrointestinal lining, triggering autoimmune disease. Mm -hmm. Like, there's so many things that they're considered, quote, side effects. They're really direct effects because conventional medicine tends to look at our bodies through, in parts, basically, yep. and not as an integrated whole. Mm -hmm. So looking through that lens of, like, just let me get that, let me get that, uh, you know, that tapeworm, let me get that, you know, the, those bacteria to block these calories... That's not what it's about. Mm. But this leads to the conversation of, and by, of course, we're not mice as well. So researchers at the Wiseman Institute took this data and brought this into the domain with some human test subjects. And we know that if I would send somebody, you know, just send them some paperwork to get a stool sample, and basically you poop into like a nacho basket, mm -hmm. you know, or a fry basket, you send it in, I can get the report back and I can... I can disseminate within about an 80% accuracy, I'd say, whether or not they're obese, just based on the makeup of their microbiome. We know this now. Mm -hmm. There is a makeup of microbes that is associated with insulin resistance and obesity. And so they took folks that had this makeup that's geared towards obesity and insulin resistance and implanted that their fecal, uh, fecal transplant into lean mice. And then they took lean microbiome makeup from lean human subjects and implanted that in the lean mice. Those mice didn't change a bit. The mice who received the fecal transplant from the folks who had the bacteria cascade associated with obesity, the mice became insulin resistant, they gained weight and gained body fat. They didn't change the mice diet, mm -hmm. they didn't change their exercise habits, they simply changed their microbes. Their microbes made them absorb more from their food, like that. And this is not being talked about Last part, this is the cherry on the top of this whole thing. Because again, I'm like, where I need to see more human data. And researchers at St. Louis, uh, Louis University, um, and this, you know, it's my hometown, so, you know, shout out to them. And Washington University also in St. Louis. But they found, they, they looked at identical twins, which you can't get more like comparison here 
you know. They do have unique fingerprints. Everything else, same. They got this a double yolk situation, like they're coming from the same egg, all right? Everything about them on paper should be the same. But when they can find a twin who has the microbiome that has more of an association towards obesity and insulin resistance, and look at what happens when they have, they're in the same household, eating the same diet, what happens? Sure enough, the twin that had the microbiome, the microbes associated with insulin resistance and diabetes had a greater propensity towards weight gain, mm. and the other one didn't. So we know this is a factor. We've been talking about this for some time. Everybody knows the term microbiome. Now we know how it controls our metabolism as well. And mm -hmm. so a big part of the book is what are some things that we know for certain can help to create an environment where microbes associated with leanness and with health and with, there's microbes associated with inflammation. There's microbes yeah. associated with healthy heart function. Mm -hmm. How do we make sure that that balance stays healthy and, and avoid the things that allow pathogenic or opportunistic things to take over. Yeah, I love that. I love that we got into the microbiome. I, I was hoping that M did stand for microbiome and, and it did. So that's what, it, what an amazing way to look at calories, absorption of food, our relationship with food and how the body is always in flux. I think my favorite point was that we're metabolically different, different fingerprint. So with that understanding and know that we're always in flux with our environment, like you said, one week to the other, my stress can go up all of a sudden I'm yes. absorbing less calories or more calories, right? right? <gasps> so being more, and that gives us some more grace with ourselves, right? Especially yeah. if we're trying to lose weight or hit, hit some sort of goal to understand, all right, I'm always in flux. And, and just because this influencer said I need to be doing this right. and these are the 10 pillars and commandments of you know, calories, it doesn't mean it's true for you. That's right. Which is incredible. The beautiful thing I know is that we can help influence our microbiome with the foods we eat. Yes. So that's the beautiful part uh, that, that we, can we can help control and hit our goals with that. So what, I never thought that sliding through the DMs would be so enlightening and gratifying. <laughs> <laughs> Slide into the DMs. We just slid, we slid right through them, man. And, and it's amazing. You did, you did mention the effect on, on social relationships. You and you, 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 you dropped the gem last show and you left about it. And, and I was thinking about it. I was like, oh my God, our food can affect my relationship with a girlfriend or your wife. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I find yeah. this the most, one of the most fascinating things. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So let's start with uh, something that's kind of a little bit more granular and, and very real world for a lot of us. So researchers at The Ohio State University wanted to find out how couples interact with each other when they have abnormal blood sugar. And in our culture, this is a daily thing. Almost every meal, we go hypoglycemic. I'm sorry, we, we get a, a, a sugar spike and then we go hypoglycemic. We have that associated crash. And this is triggering this term we think is kind of funny, it's hangry. But scientists take, we're taking this real seriously because your blood sugar, like this, we're talking about a very primal thing that your body wants to keep in check because you need to have that blood sugar on point for your cognitive performance to, to seek out and to be mindful of threats. And also if you need to run, if you got to fight or, fight or flee, that's where our, our genes are really, even though we can chill, we can watch Netflix, so much about it still has this very primitive programming. And so again, your, blood, your body takes your blood sugar very seriously. And so when it gets low... It and it's cool. It's like, and you don't have to eat something. It will respond by secreting catecholamines, you know, adrenaline, cortisol, 
to stimulate and you can literally manufacture high blood sugar or elevate your blood sugar through stress hormones. I love that you mentioned this a minute ago about stress mm -hmm. throwing off your calorie absorption and changing it. It's a real thing. And so now here's, it again, it does the job, get your blood sugar back in check. The side effect though of those hormones, they tend to make you irritable mm -hmm. or even assertive or aggressive, not, aggr not assertive, aggressive. Mm -hmm. And so here's what the researchers found. They had couples, married couples. These are people who love each other. They're in a married, you know, a married relationship. And they had them wear uh, continuous glucose monitors. And they found, and this is so crazy, whenever the, the partner had abnormal blood sugar activity, they were far more likely to be aggressive towards their partner. They were far less likely to be patient and to, to, and to perspective take. And they were far less likely to solve their relationship conflicts when their blood sugar was deranged, all right? Now, just imagine how often we do this with our significant others, with people we love, and we argue over the dumbest shit. <laughs> like, why, why'd you leave one shoe in the bathroom yeah, yeah. and the other in the closet? Yeah. Like, what is this? You live born on a barn? Uh, my grandma used to say, I don't know why I said that. Um, so, but the, the crazy, and then what about how does that outpicture in the rest of the world? Mm. Have you seen the internet lately? You know, it's just like people are going online to fight. Like, yeah. ah, let me see how I can fight today. Uh -huh. You know, and that's just one piece. Now, I want to take this to another level. And this was this was one of those times, again, I'm just walking around in my office just like, I cannot believe people don't know this. It, it just really shook me. Um, researchers at Oxford University wanted to find out how nutrition might affect our proclivity towards violence. And so they took a population of prison inmates. Now, the circumstances are unfortunate because it's prison. But from the lens of science, it's actually a very good placement for a study because it's a ward study where everything can be monitored and tracked. Like folks are, can't just go leave and like eat something else. So what they did was they gave us uh, one group of prison inmates improved nutrition. This was in the form of supplementation, but vitamins, minerals, and essential fatty acids, which this is gonna, of course gonna be most likely in the form of fish oil, to see what would happen on their behavior. And they gave another group of the inmates placebos. And this was a multi-month study. And after they compiled all the data, the prison inmates who received improved nutrition had a 40% reduction in behavioral offenses. But that wasn't what rattled me. They had a 37% reduction in violent offenses wow. by improving the inmates' nutrition. The, 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 the results were so shocking, another set of researchers saw this and didn't, they couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe that it was possible. You can re reduce somebody's proclivity towards violence by 40% by improving their nutrition. Can't be. Wow. Humans are way more flawed than that. It's way more complex. So they repeated the study, and this study was published in Aggressive Behavior. There's journals for everything. By yeah, way. I know. That's <laughs> funny you say that. I was just thinking. <laughs> but this is like the gold standard of that. You know, this is like the, the, the big journal in that, in that space. They repeated the study, got almost the exact same outcome. And the, re the question for me immediately is just comes up, why? How is this possible? We'll just take one piece of it. The prefrontal cortex, the part of your brain responsible for social control, for distinguishing between right and wrong, and being able to, uh, you know, choose healthy decisions and to analyze outcomes, you know, so this call this executive part of the brain. 
So these higher order functions that allow us to be human. That part of the brain, when you're nutrient deficient, it's just not working right. And by getting these folks improved nutrition, it literally helps their brain to work better so they can, even if they're not conscious of it, they can decide in that moment, if I do this behavior, if I take this action, this is gonna be the outcome, let me not do that. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna choose other than. But when those things are not accessible, these parts of the brain, we, we call it an amygdala hijack, you know, the more primitive parts of the brain really do take over. And they're much more emotional, they're much more concerned about survival of self. We talked about this in the context of sleep deprivation last time. But in the context of nutrient deprivation, it is a major issue. And so how often today do we have folks interacting with each other who are just not well? We've got 200 million people in our country, here in the United States, who are overweight or obese mm-hmm. right now. 135 million are diabetic or pre-diabetic. 60% of folks have some degree of heart disease and hardening of the arteries, advanced. We're ticking time bombs. 115 million people are regularly sleep deprived. We've got a nation of people who are not well, battling it out and, and trying to get other people who are unwell to listen to them and wondering why you know, their, their, their family members are not just like, this is logical. Why are they not listening? This is what, you know, what the news says. What, hmm. Here's this study. None of that matters if we're not well. Now, let me be absolutely clear. It's not to say that when we're not well, we can't have compassion or perspective take or to control our aggression. It, just, it is just harder. It's more difficult and it burns through a lot more energy to do so, right? So my mission, a big part of Eat Smarter that was just, I didn't necessarily say it when I was talking with the publishers and agents, but I, I, this was before any of this craziness happened. I wanted to get our citizens healthier so we can have healthier conversations. That was like really the heart of why I wrote the book. Mm. But, you know, of course, you got to give people what they want, you know, so we give them the best information on metabolism. But this is really important to me because we are so brilliant. We are so capable. There's not a problem without a solution. But if we're not communicating with each other and talking about ideas and, and looking at different, you know, different angles of science, because I promise you, every study you've got, there's something that refutes it, you know? But oftentimes the thing that refutes it in our culture today, it's stronger, but yet we can't even look at that data because of our biases. It's just, we all have our biases, mm-hmm. but it's harder to recognize your bias and to listen to another person, to perspective take, when you're not well. Mm. And so we've got to get our citizens healthier. I love that. And I love that you took a Trojan horse perspective, right? Like here's what metabolism is here, but we got to get our world better. We got to get our world healthier, our communities. And, and one aspect that we never think of is we understand the, uh, the influence of socioeconomic factors and in lower socioeconomic income families and communities, we look at that, all right? But then we never think about what about nutritional outcomes? What about poor nutrition? I remember you know, like back in my hometown in Queens, you know, the, the big supermarket, it has all of the discounts on the window of, you know, like 79, for, 79 cents for this beans, you know, of roasted t- chicken, roasted turkey, poor quality food. But really a lot of the folks out there were just going to corner stores. Mm-hmm. And in the corner stores, what are you going to get? Packaged foods. Right. So no wonder we have diabetes, obesity, as you mentioned, hardening of the arteries. This, we, we've set the stage for that. But not, of us, not a lot of us are talking about the next step. And the next step is how is it affecting our ability to communicate, yeah. right? to problem solve, to get out of this. And I think a lot of us are underwater because of the state of the world and nutrition. Yeah. Um, 
but 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 your mission is very much so admirable because get us out of the water. Let's sit on the beach and all have a round circle conversation about how we change the world, man. That's and right. That's, powerful. that's right. And it's coming from. We've got some other great people who are doing some work in this space. You know, uh, Mark Hyman has been. Um, big advocate for, you know, this term food deserts mm-hmm. and addressing some of the socioeconomic factors around this. I'm from it though. Mm-hmm. I'm from it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm from Ferguson, Missouri. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. When I walked out my gate of my apartment complex, when I'm in college, again, I've never met anybody who's graduated from college that, I mean, that's like close to me. Mm-hmm. And just for me to do that process of getting from Ferguson, Missouri to from my apartment to the University of Missouri, St. Louis each day is a challenge. And littered along that way, this is no joke, within a mile and a half radius of my apartment door, the first thing I see when I go out the apartment complex, there's a liquor store right there with all the things you just mentioned. Then I've got Lee's Chicken. I've got Papa John's, Domino's, Taco Bell. I've got Chinese food, but it's not like a nice Chinese restaurant. Mm -hmm. This is like bulletproof glass. Right. Hot braised chicken. Right. You know, that's, you know, that's that. Crab Ragoon. Dairy Queen, then we got McDonald's, we've got another McDonald's, just depending on which way you turn. Wow. Within a mile and a half now, Burger King, Krispy Kremes, Arby's, which I still haven't met anybody that like is diehard with Arby's. I don't know. Never mind. Right. Uh, then they've got Wendy's, we've got Jack in the Box, Pasta House, if you want to get fancy, and another Chinese food restaurant. Wow. This is all within a mile and a half of my door. There's no whole... Whole Foods? Yeah. I, I didn't know what a health food store was. There's no organic section of my grocery store. It's all just marked down, you know, all these type of things just so you could survive. Mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't want to feel like I felt. I didn't want to be overweight. I didn't want to have this so-called incurable spinal condition, yeah. you know, but going through that process made me question things finally and ask, what can I, what can I do to get healthy? I literally had to get out of my environment to heal, man. Yeah. You know, and I, the, and the thing is, we're driven on questions. Questions determine our focus. The human mind is this really interesting thing. It's called instinctive elaboration. It's like a mental reflex. Whenever you pose your mind a question, whether you're conscious of it or not, because we're unconsciously asking questions all the time, mm-hmm. they drive our actions and our behavior. When you pose your mind a question, it is it becomes obsessed with finding the answer, especially if it's repetitive question. And so, like, for example, right now we're taking in trillions of bits of data, like, that our body and our nervous system is trying to manage and filter what's most important. You know, there's like a circuit box over there, (laughs) you know, like my man's been tapping his leg over there. It's like, is he nervous? You know, like my brain is like trying to modulate and see what's most important. Like there's data coming into our kneecaps and our toes. And now people might be thinking about their kneecaps and toes. All these things existed, but they weren't primary focus. And so the primary question you ask, and I want people to think about it. What is the question you ask yourself most often? Like, what is that question on repeat? For me, in those two years from the age of 20 to 22, dealing with this so-called incurable spinal condition was why me? Habitually asking, why me? Why won't somebody help me? Over and over and over again. And the rub is your brain is going to be seeking data from your environment, your internal and external environment, to affirm why you. So when I'm asking why me, I'm getting data on like how bad my life sucks, like why, mm. you know, the, the quality of person that I was compared to who I could be. Like I had all of this potential, but look at you, right? And why won't somebody help me? Because you're this, because you're not, you're not lovable 
or whatever the case might be. And it took two years. Some people never get it. Mm. Some people get it very quickly. Hopefully, I mean, the people listening, of course, you know, mm. you guys are much faster. Much faster. But I finally took two years, four different physicians, all telling me the same thing. There's nothing you can do about this. Uh, this is incurable. Each one gave me a new prescription and each one prescribed me bed rest. And dude, I could walk. Why do they keep prescribing? I can still walk. Mm -hmm. I was in pain, but I could still walk. You know, I had the sciatic pain. But I finally asked, after my, I feel like I exhausted my possibilities of someone else saving me and doing the thing for me. I finally asked, what can I do to get better? What can I do to feel better? What can I do to get healthy? And this was two years, I'm sorry, this was five years after, because I went to college when I was 17, five years after changing my major away from biology and nutritional science. And now it's all kind of fate had other plans for me. Now I become obsessed with it. But now it's like visceral and palpable and attractive because as I'm asking these questions, the answers were already around me. I just wasn't attuned to them. There was a girl that I knew woman that I knew for maybe I knew her for maybe three years you know I see her every now and then you know we hang out uh, uh, uh. but she was a chiropractor yeah. and she took me to uh, Wild Oats one day like after I had this revelation of like what can I do to get healthy I had known her for all this time she took me to like a, a get together with her friends one time and they're like adjusting each I'm just like this is too weird for me you know like I'll holler at you later yeah the solution. So I'm, I walk into Wild Oats, which was bought up by Whole Foods, by the way. Of course, it's weird. It's like, why is there grass on the counter? You know? Right. But they had these books there, and I open it up, and I'm used to, you know, seeing studies. And I see a study talking about uh, all these different nutrients for bone density. And I'm like, I never heard of this. I thought I just needed calcium. Hmm. But it just didn't make sense because my bone, I broke my hip when I was 15 at track practice, just running. It never occurred to me that I'm doing the calcium thing. I'm guzzling milk like nobody's business. I'm eat, having my cereal every day. I'm drinking milk. Why are my bones so brittle? There was like 20 other things, some of them more important than calcium, that yeah. affect calcium absorption. Yeah. One of the things, crazy enough, was omega-3 fatty acids. That's needed for bone density too. Magnesium, silica. And I'm just like, I first became a natural pill popper. To be real, because like I just need that nutrient. Give me some chromium. Give me this, and we're good. <laughs> but fortunately, again, by asking the question, the right things began. My 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 attention became attuned to food, like what what foods have these things, and also became expensive too. Trying to be the natural pill popper, but and this is the thing is that food has. When I was in school, I want I want to share this with everybody. I paid for the you same thing. Mm -hmm. We paid for the education to largely be miseducated in so many things. I was paid for my teacher to tell me, make sure you get your essential vitamins and minerals. That doesn't mean shit because I was told to get vitamin C, get vitamin A. There's so many types of vitamin C. There's so many forms of vitamin A, of B12, of omega-3s, of magnesium. There's so many types. Which one do I need? Mm -hmm. Which one's coming through that shitty multivitamin? Right. The synthetic is just, it's just one, it's hitting one note. Yeah. Food has all of it. And it has the biopotentiators, you know, these cofactors that make it work better. Your genes expect you to eat food. It's what we evolve with. Mm -hmm. Not to say supplements can't be helpful, but it should supplement the diet, not exactly. be the thing, you know? So 
when I found these things out, man, I just, I was on fire to implement them myself. And then it, it was so, I'm just literally going back in that moment right now and seeing people at my campus, I'm walking, because I, I lost the weight I had gained, mm -hmm. the pain I was in for two years that I, I couldn't sleep at night, man. You know, I tossed and turned. I'd take over-the-counter and prescription drugs just to sleep because the pain would wake me up. I'm out of pain. I can move. I feel free. My skin changed. My, my body composition changed. People were, I didn't look like a person who lost weight. I looked like a person who was healthy. Yeah. You know, and so my professors, I remember one day he stopped me as I was walking out of the, uh, this international business class, international marketing. And uh, he was like, what did you do? And I was just like, what the, did I, is there some, you know, what did I do? And he was like, you look so healthy. I was like, oh, damn, mm. wow. He became my client, you know. I became a strength conditioning coach first. And uh, fellow students, and the great gift was working at a university campus for so many years, I got to work with people from all over the world, literally, and to see the consistencies that we all have and to see the subtle nuances. And I shifted all my coursework, you know, back to nutritional science, still largely getting miseducated, but now I like, I can teeter back and forth in the data. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's one of the big takeaways I just wanted people to have was the power of this instinctive elaboration. Ask, what's your dominant question? What is your dominant question? Uh, my friend Jim Quick was on the movie set for Suicide Squad with mm. Will Smith. Like, this is some, that's just gangster. Yeah. And they've pin, they pinned down Will Smith's dominant question, which is, how can I make this moment magical? He's always asking that. What? And then you see the outpicturing. And Jim and him worked together and he found, because we, we already have the, uh, uh, we want to have the assumption or su assume that it's already magical. And they change it to, how do I make this moment more magical? And so that's the way that he lives and breathes. That's the question he's asking. For some people, it's how can I get people to like me? Mm. For some people, it's um, how can I blend in or how can I, how can I stay out of sight? You know, how can I get out of pain? How can I make this person love me? Find out, ask yourself, what is your dominant question? And ask, is it serving you? Because here's a cool thing, and I actually talk about this in the book. We go through and look, look at this because there's a big psychology component with food. There's a place that you can elevate beyond the question, the seemingly negative question, and it changes, the, the meaning changes. So for me later, I saw when I would ask why me, I realized it's because I'm strong enough to handle it. And why me? Because of the environment that I come from and all the things that I've been through, I have a unique ability to communicate with a wide range of people that heretofore other people wouldn't necessarily impact. Right. You know, why won't somebody help me? Because I needed to find out how powerful my own, my own body is, this innate intelligence, mm. you know? So we can zoom above these questions, even if they seem like a negative question, there might be a, a hidden gem in there for mm -hmm. you as well. Oh, I love that. Feeling the chills, man. I love that. It's so true. These overriding, overarching themes and questions that we ask every single day yeah. is just continuously being, we're validating and seeing that over and over and over until, like you said, zoom out and know that we can have those answers. And you found your answers of those overarching questions when you were younger and look where it led you.
Yeah. And now you have oh, a book. Now I'm here with you. Yeah, now we're sitting down. <laughs> shoot, now I'm about to be on your show, so I'm yes, about to be with you. So no, like we're, I'm, I'm very happy with the way we're changing the world. But your book, man, it's sold out. It's coming out soon again. Coming, re, you know, the, it's coming back to. to when our is hands. this coming out? This this will be out in in um, two three weeks. Okay. We'll books will be it. back. The books will be back. Books will be back. Books will be back. No worries. So perfect. But I just love that. That's how much the demand is there. Yeah, and it, it's and it encourages me to know that people want to know more about nutrition. People want to know more about their connection to food. Everything that we talked about. That's such a bright. That's such a bright thing to feel. You know. Yeah. We're passionate about people, right? This is amazing, man. Like, as you're saying, it's freaking me out because it's like, you can be in it, you know, and I work to not be jaded. Yeah. But man, like, I, I can't believe where I'm, the, where I'm, where I come from, man, it's like a minor miracle just mm -hmm. to, you know, just to even survive, to yeah. be real. But let alone, like, have my book in the top 10, you know, mm -hmm. with Barack Obama and mm -hmm. Matthew McConaughey and all these celebrities, but it's not about politics. Mm -hmm. It's not about fanfare people and it gets to come through i get to be a medium for it yeah you know and i think that's part of it too why i can continue to be amazed by it is it's not a it's not about me it's cool that i put it together like this mm -hmm. but man it's like this so much bigger it's yeah. so much bigger yeah and that's when you know you hit the next level right because you're operating out of love you are that medium that is disseminating information it's empowering people yeah. to change them so they're reminded that they are that love so yeah. Sean, you're doing awesome things. The book, Eat Smarter. That's right. Yeah. It'll be out. Everybody check it out. I want you to check it out. Read it front to back. DM me everything you love about it. I really appreciate you being on the show, man. Number two, this is the second time. Open invitation whenever you want to talk again, brother. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a blast. All right, man.